Chapter Two of In the Pecos Country by Edward Ellis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two A Brief Conference. Sut Simpson was thoroughly impatient and angry. Knowing as well as he did the dangerous character of Arizona, New Mexico, northwestern Texas, and Indian Territory, he could not excuse such a foolhardy proceeding as that of a small colony settling in the very heart of that section. The nearest point where they could hope for safety was Fort Severn, fifty miles distant. There was a company of soldiers under command of an experienced United States officer, and they knew well enough to keep within the protection of their stockades except when making reconnaissances in force. All those who were acquainted with the veteran scout were accustomed to defer to his judgment where Indians were concerned, and he was so used to receiving this deference that when he was contradicted and gainsaid by these new settlers, he lost his patience and started to leave them in a sort of mild passion. The place fixed for the location of New Boston was in a gently sloping valley with the Rio Pecos running on the right. The soil was fertile, as was shown in the abundance of rich, succulent grass which grew about them, while only a few hundred yards up the river was a grove of timber filled in with dense undergrowth and brush, the most favorable location possible for a band of daring redskins when preparing to make a raid upon the settlement. The hunter turned the head of his mustang in the direction of this wood, and rode away at a slow walk. He had nearly reached the margin when someone called to him, "'Hist there, you spalpeen! Won't you hold on a minute?' Turning his head, he saw the Irishman walking rapidly toward him, after the manner of one who had something important to say. He instantly checked his horse, and waited for him to come up. "'Do you know,' struck in Mickey, that I believed in Mr. Barnwell till we reached Kansas City. There we met people that had been all through this country and that knew all about it, and every one of the spalpeens told us that we'd lose our scalps if we comed on. I didn't consider it likely that all them folks would talk in that style unless they meant it, and half a dozen of us made up our minds that the best thing we could do was go back or stop where we was. We went to Mr. Barnwell and pleaded with him and I was ready to break a shillelagh over his head by way of convincing him of the truth of me remarks, but twas no use. He just grinned and shook his head. The folks all seemed to be afeard of him, as though he were St. Patrick or some other sensible gentleman, and so we come on. "'What made you come?' asked Sut, throwing his knee upon the saddle and looking down upon the Irishman. "'You could do as you choose. No, I couldn't.' I hired out to Mr. Moonson for a year, and there ain't half a year gone yet, and I've got to stick to him till the time is up. Whose little boy is that I seed standing by you? That's Mr. Moonson's boy, Fred, one of the finest, loveliest lads you ever sought eyes on, and I'm much worried on his account. Are his parents with you? Neither of em. The hunter looked surprised, and the Irishman hastened to explain, I never knowed his mother. She haven't been dead afore I left old Ireland, and his father was taken down with a sort of fever a week ago when we was t'other side of Fort Aubrey. It wasn't anything dangerous at all, but it sort of weakened him, 
so that it was believed best for him to tarry there a while until he could regain his strength. "'Why didn't you and the younker stay with him?' "'That's what ought to been done,' replied the disgusted Irishman. "'But as it wasn't, here we are. The old gentleman, Mr. Munson, had considerable furniture and goods that went best with the train, and he needed me to look after it. He thought the boy would be safer with the train than with him.' being that when he comes on as he hopes to do in the course of a week be the same more or less he will not have more than two or three companions what i wanted to ax yous said mickey checking his disposition to loquacity is whether you're in dead earnest about saying the copper-coloured gentleman'll be down here for the purpose of blotting out the metropolis of new boston be here of course they will just as sure as you're a living man and you won't have to wait long either how long inside a week maybe within three days the last i heard a lone wolf he was down in the direction of the llano estaeado some two three hundred miles from here and it won't take him long to come that distance is he the only indian chief in this country that you talk so much about him oh no there are plenty of em but lone wolf has a special weakness for such parties as this when he does come what is best for us to do you'll make the best fights you can of course and if you get licked as i've no doubt you will and you're well mounted you must all strike a bee-line for fort severn and never stop till you reach the stockades you can't miss the road for you've only got to ride toward the setting sun as though you meant to dash your animals right through it where will the spalapeen come from the hunter pointed toward the woods before them that's just the place the varmints would want and they couldn't want any nicer you may be looking at that spot and they'll crawl right in afore your eyes and lay there for hours without you seeing em you want to get things fixed so that you can make a good fight when they do swoop down on you i guess that long-legged chap that i was talking to knows enough for that you seem to have more sense than any of em and i'll give you a little advice let's see what's your name the irishman gave it and the hunter responded by mentioning his own do you put someone in here to keep watch night and day and the minute you see the redskins coming give the signal and run for your friends there then if the redskins foller you must let em have it right and left if you find you can't hold your own agin em you must make all haste to fort severn as you heard me say a while ago aim for the setting sun and after you've gone fifty miles or so you'll be there good-bye to you now i'm watching the engine movements in these parts and if the signs are bad and i have the chance i'll give you notice but you mustn't depend upon me the hunter leaned over the saddle and warmly shook the hand of the irishman the two having conceived a strong liking for each other then he wheeled his mustang about and gave him a word that caused him at once to break into a swift gallop which quickly carried him up the slope until he reached the margin of the valley over which he went at the same rate and speedily vanished from view the irishman stood gazing at the spot where he had vanished and then he walked thoughtfully back toward the settlements where all were as busy as beavers getting their rude huts and homes in condition for living in doing this caleb barnwell was guided by a desire to be prepared for the indian visitation which he knew was likely soon to be made 
They had gathered an immense quantity of driftwood along the banks of the Rio Pecos, and the other timber that they needed had already been cut and dragged from the woods, so that about all the material they needed was at hand. Even with their huts a third or a half finished, they would be in a much better condition to receive the attack of the Apaches than if compelled to place their heavy luggage wagons in a semicircle and fight from behind them. "'The gentleman speaks the truth,' muttered Mickey as he walked along, "'and I'm not one to forget such a fever when he took so much pains to tell me. I'll remember and fix a watch on the wood.'" End of chapter 2 Read by Thomas Rose